Well, good morning again. It's uh, wonderful to be with you all and uh, particularly to be here with you all and have the opportunity to open God's Word and uh, hear from the Lord today. So uh, before we do that, why don't I go to the Lord in prayer and we'll ask His blessing again on our time. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we worship you this morning. We declare that you are our God. There is none like you. There is no one else who could compete with you. There's no one else worthy. There's none like you. You alone are God and we worship you. We bow down to you. We give you honor and we praise you for your work in our lives and particularly this Christmas season as we celebrate Advent, the Advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. As we celebrate that together, we call to mind and praise you for what you have done in Jesus. Father, we thank you that you sent him for us, born as a little baby, into this world. And, uh, and we celebrate you and that fact this morning. Father, we do ask that you would bless our time, ask that you would be at work in us as the word is proclaimed. May your spirit use it in our lives, convict us and encourage us, and give us all that you know we need this morning. We worship you and we commit our time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and open uh, your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you would please. Luke chapter 2, and we are continuing on with uh, our series on the songs of Christmas or the lyrics of Christmas. And we come today to chapter 2 in this great angelic chorus that we're going to talk about. So if you turn to Luke chapter 2. As you're doing that, I want to call to mind a story from the Old Testament that I read just sometime in the last couple of weeks. And this is from 1 Samuel chapter 11. This is, of course, is a story that takes place during the time when Samuel was prophet in Israel. And during that time, the Ammonites laid siege to uh, a place called Jabesh Gilead. And, and the people of that place were so hopelessly outnumbered and surrounded by the Ammonites that they uh, immediately offered to surrender and offered to be the slaves of the Ammonites if they would just let them live. But the Ammonites were so spiteful and they were so confident in their own abilities that they said, yeah, we'll, we'll accept your surrender if you will also gouge out all of your right eyes and then we'll make you our slaves. And so this was a bad situation and God's people were surrounded and they were in a state of desperate need. And the elders of Jabesh said, well, give us, give us seven days and we'll see if we can find someone to help us out from amongst our countrymen. And if there's no one to save us in that time, then we will, uh, we will submit and we will surrender. And when those messengers who went out came to the royal city of Gibeah and they reported the situation, all the people there wept out loud. But God had prepared a savior. Saul, who was king, was just coming in from working the fields at the time. And when, when Saul saw everyone weeping, he asked why they were uh, weeping and what was going on. And, and of course, they told him the terrible news about the people of Jabesh. Jabesh. And uh, verse 6 in that chapter says, And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And so he mustered an army of over 300,000 people amongst his countrymen to come to the aid of the helpless inhabitants there at Jabesh. And they said to the messengers who had come, tell the people of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, 
you will have your salvation. And when the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, as you can imagine, they rejoiced because their salvation was near at hand. Like the people of Jabesh-Gilead, only with far greater and eternal consequence for us, all of mankind is in desperate need of salvation. And the good news that we get to celebrate at Christmas is that in sending Jesus Christ for us into the world, God has provided us with that Savior that we await, that Savior that we must have. And so the message of today's passage in Luke chapter 2 directs us towards, uh, towards this fact, that because God sent the Savior into the world, we should receive Him with joy. Because we have this salvation. And so we open in our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 20, which is our passage for the day. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so we have... This message, this passage here of God sending His Savior into this world. Because God sent the Savior by shaping historical events, we should receive Him with great joy. We see in our first few verses there, He sent the Savior, first of all, by shaping world events. By shaping world events, He used this census that was brought about. You see, in the Roman Empire in this time, about every 14 years, they would do a census. And of course, what's the purpose of a census? It's for tax reasons. And so every 14 years or so, the entire empire was subjected to this, and they had to return to the place where they uh, perhaps owned property, and they would have to be numbered amongst their people there where that was. And so 
That meant that Joseph, though he lived in uh, Nazareth in Galilee, he had to journey at the appointed time to Bethlehem to be numbered there. And if you think about an entire empire being called to do a, a census every 14 years, this would have disrupted all manner of things. I don't know how long it took for them to do this, and probably each individual uh, jurisdiction didn't do it at exactly the same time. Otherwise, you could imagine the chaos there would have been throughout the empire. But, but this census was going on, and it would have interrupted the entire empire to a certain degree. And so we see that in order to bring the baby Jesus at the time he did, in the place he did, we see that God actually was shaping world events for the purpose of the birth of a baby. God shaped world events in order to fulfill his promises about the Savior's birth. But he also sent him by shaping not, not just world events, but private events. We see the lives of Mary and Joseph were uprooted and they were, they were themselves affected by this as God was not just working in the world, but he was working in their family as well. I love this section. The irony here is so rich. The most spiritually momentous birth in the history of the world and it's being introduced and the stage is being set by a tax census. Heavenly chariots didn't fly Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born where God said he was going to be born. No, it was the call of the tax man that sent them there, who required their presence there in the exact town where about 700 years earlier, the Old Testament prophet uh, Micah had said the Messiah would be born. From Micah 5.2, we read this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. God did all of that to fulfill prophecy, to send the family to the proper town so that he could be born in that place at that time, as God had said. God was sending the Savior into the world by shaping the personal events even of an individual family. And finally, he sent him by shaping surprising events. There were surprising events. In our passage here, we see that David is evoked several times. The town of Nazareth uh, to, uh, to Judea, to the city of David in verse 4, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and the lineage of David. And of course, the quote from the Old Testament had to do with David. So you're thinking royalty, right? You're thinking king. You're thinking all that goes with that pomp and circumstance and, and uh, royalty and wealth and, and riches and all that goes with that. And that's not how it played out. That wasn't God's plan for this time. Instead, the Lord of glory was born in a small village and he was laid in a manger. He didn't come in power and with wealth. He came humbly. He came quietly. Not many people noticed. He came in a lowly fashion. So if we think about all that God did, all that God arranged from world events to personal events and even in surprising ways, the things that God arranged in order to send His Son, it's important for us to think about this. I was thinking about 
a uh, situation in our own family. A while back, our daughter Brianna, you met this morning, she uh, flew back to Texas for a few days. And so, of course, we took her to the airport, dropped her off, and she flew away, and we were going to pick her up days later. And, and no matter how much we explained to our four-year-old that uh, she was in Texas, Brianna's in Texas, in her mind, the little four-year-old mind, Brianna was at the airport. We had dropped her off there, and then we were going to pick her up there. So, of course, she's at the airport, Right. In her, her little four-year-old mind, she didn't think of all that went into a trip like that. Brianna had planned ahead of time. She did, Eva doesn't think about the distance between here and Texas. She doesn't think about how fast an airplane has to fly and how many airplanes you have to get on to get from here to there. She, she just thought Brianna was at the airport. And of course, Brianna had moved heaven and earth to make this trip happen. She had to do work ahead of time. She had to save up money. She had to bring things about in order to make this work. But to Eva, she was just at the airport. And I think sometimes we forget that God moved heaven and earth too when he shaped the historical events in order to send his son to be born of Mary in the village of Bethlehem. And so what does this section mean for you and for me? Well, You and I need to receive the Savior with great joy as we remind ourselves about the pains that God took to send His Son for us. Some of you perhaps are of the mindset that God doesn't really intervene in the world. Some of you may think that God really has never intervened in the world. Maybe He exists. Maybe He created all things. He doesn't really intervene in the world. And when you think about Christianity, what you think is, well, it's kind of an ethic. It's about uh, how you treat people. It's about the golden rule, and that's the essence of Christianity. But the truth is that Christianity doesn't exist without God working in the world, in our world, to send His Son for us. Christianity does not present an ethic that saves us. It presents a Savior who came into this world. And the call for you is to rejoice that He did that for you and to receive Him as your Savior and Lord. Or maybe for others of us, we've just begun to take Jesus for granted a little bit. Let me remind you today what kind of detailed intervention God had to go through for Christ to come into the world as He did. Be reminded and rejoice in Him with renewed joy at the pains God took. In order to send Christ, God shaped the very fabric of historical events. But we see in verses 8 and following that because God sent the Savior as the perfect reconciler, we should receive Him with great joy. Verses 8 through 10 there tell us that the reconciler is good news. Look at verse 10. The angel said, to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He, he was about to announce a message, and this message that he announces is good news. It's not just news, it's not just information, it's not just interesting, it's good news. Good news, this, this idea of good news in this context is a report of victory from the battlefront. Victory has been had. That's the good news that's being delivered. God has won. God has established victory. He's made it happen. And so the report that the angel brings is good news. The idea of good news, by the way, if you look in Luke and Acts, the books that, uh, that Luke wrote, 
you will see that good news is a very important and central aspect of his message. He wants his readers to be aware of the victory that God has won for them in Christ. And so this message, this reconciler, is good news. The reconciler is also the God-man. Look at verses 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This reconciler, this baby, this Savior that God sent is the God-man. Those words that occur there in verse 11 uh, that occur together, they don't occur elsewhere in the Bible clumped together like that. Speaking of the Savior, he says, Unto you is born in, uh, this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Think of, of all of the theology that's in there. Think of all that's being communicated in those few words. Well, there's a lot that we could unpack. There's a, we could spend a lot of time there. And frankly, Luke spends the rest of Luke and the rest of the book of Acts unpacking this for us, helping us understand what it means that the Savior is Christ the Lord. What I want us to take away from it today is that he's talking about the Savior who's this baby. The very next verse, he says, you will find a baby. He's human. He's one of us. This Messiah that they were told to expect, Christ, this Messiah that they were told to expect, is one of them. He represents them perfectly. But He doesn't only represent them. He is Christ the Lord. He is deity. He is God Himself. This is the use of that Old Testament concept of Lord in our Bibles. It gets translated in all capitals, L-O-R-D. And that's because in Hebrew, the word Yahweh is there. And they considered His name to be too holy to say. It's transliterated in some of our Bibles as Jehovah or perhaps Yahweh. It's the Lord. It's God's name. God is the God of the Old Testament. God Himself is this baby who's the Savior and He is the Messiah and he is Lord. All wrapped up in those words, this reconciler is the God-man. And we see that's not only true, but also the reconciler satisfies all requirements. Verse 14 is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This verse is the gospel. This verse right here, we could camp on and you should memorize and take with you and ponder because God is holy. Scripture teaches that everywhere. He is our creator. He made us, but he is holy. He is, he is free from sin. He is separate from sin. And in order for God to be glorified to the utmost, glorified in the highest, glorified ultimately his Holiness must remain intact. If His holiness is offended, if His holiness is destroyed, if His holiness is ignored, He's not glorified in the utmost. His glory is diminished. God really is holy and He really is all-powerful. And so how can it be glory to God in the highest? Well, we can sing that until we think about ourselves. 
This next part is what is so powerful to me when we think about the first part. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How can there at one and the same time be utmost glory to God, meaning his holiness is upheld, while at the same time we have peace? If we're going to drive God's glory to the highest, it's going to be at our expense because we are sinful and we're a fallen people and we we carry with us sin and that's, that's part of who we are. And so if we're going to drive His glory to the utmost, it's going to be at our own expense. On the other hand, if we retain peace for ourselves, if we're going to demand peace for ourselves, it will be at the expense of the glory of God. We have to diminish God and His holiness if we want to retain peace as we are as sinful beings. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Who is this baby who's born? Well, he's the God-man. And he meets all requirements. He's going to stand in the middle. He's going to play the role that will ultimately uphold God's glory while at the same time delivering peace to us. This is the only way that's, that can be accomplished. Jesus himself, the God man who is our reconciler, who represents us, stands between us and God, could take the wrath from God for our sins upon himself, fully satisfying the wrath of God, the justice of God, the purity and holiness of God, and deliver peace to us. Jesus is the only way that can happen. That's why this verse right here is such a clear gospel presentation. Folks, if we don't have a God-man standing in between us, if we don't have Jesus Christ himself as our Savior, either we are going to diminish God's glory so that we can have peace, or we will diminish our peace, destroy our peace if if we're going to retain God's glory. But in Jesus Christ... God's righteous, holy wrath is spent, is poured out upon Jesus for sinners so that we who are in Christ can stand before Him clothed in the righteousness of Christ Himself and forgiven of our sins and God can be glorified to the utmost and we can have peace. That is powerful. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember Luke 2.14, because that is the gospel. The reconciler himself meets all of the requirements. We should receive the Savior with unparalleled joy when we see that he is the only possible, perfect reconciler between God and man. There is no other way. And God has given him to us. Let us rejoice in that. Some of you have been hanging around the fringes of Christianity for one reason or for another, perhaps for years. But you've never become a Christian yourself. Know this. You do, in fact, need this Savior that God sent. There is no other way for a holy God to be ultimately glorified in sinful you while at the same time you having peace with Him. 
Jesus Christ is the only perfect reconciler between God and man. And so receive him today and find joyful peace with God. In sending Jesus as our Savior, God sent him as the one and only perfect reconciler between God and man. We see that God also sent him as he promised. And because God sent his Savior as promised, we should receive him with great joy. First of all, he sent him in a verifiable way. Verses 15 and 16, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, you see, the angels hadn't just given a message and the shepherds said, oh, that's interesting. Uh, We could believe it or not believe it. You know, when someone tells you something, you have the option of, of, uh, of calling them on their bluff. You have the option not to believe what they say, right? But the message that the angels gave could be verified. It was verifiable. And so what did, what did they do? They said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They heard the news about the birth of the baby and they were told details about the the fact of it. And what did they do? They could go and check it out. They could go and look and see and find out for themselves that indeed he was born just as they had been told. Folks, this is one of the glorious things about Christianity that that, uh, separates it from so many of the religions of the world. It happened in history. We don't just talk about a God who's out there that we ponder and we think we know some truths about and we say we've gotten a message from him. He sent his son into this world to take on human form, to be one of us. He entered history. And so it is verifiable. My faith doesn't rest on the fact that I can verify uh, aspects of uh, Jesus' birth and when he lived and things he said and and the things that his apostles, disciples did. And My faith doesn't rest on those things, but those things exist. I can go and look. If you want to read historians, even who don't believe in God, they will talk about Jesus of Nazareth. They will talk about the changes that uh, came about through his disciples. So... God sent his Savior in a verifiable way. He also sent him in a corroborated way. I was looking for a better word. Corroborated is the best thing I could come up with. Verse 17, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. There was an exchange of information between two groups of people who had both received revelation from God had received statements about this baby and about the birth of this baby. Remember what Mary had been told back in uh, chapter 1? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. That, those are the promises that had been given to Mary. And now the shepherds show up, having sprinted there. I like that reading. Having sprinted there, they're out of breath, and they show up. And they, they see the baby, and they start exchanging information, saying, Oh, that's what an angel told you? Well, let us tell you what the angels told us. And they start sharing information. Here you have these independent sources coming together and verifying and confirming uh, the truth of this happening, that it wasn't just some mystical experience that they had. 
This has taken place in reality. So the Messiah, the Savior, is sent in verifiable ways, in ways that may be corroborated, and also in an astonishing way. Verses 18 through 20, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They wondered. They pondered. They treasured. It drove them to glorify God, to worship Him. He came in astonishing ways. They, they had heard from the angels. And can, can you picture the scene? They're, they're out there on the hills with the sheep at night. You know, it's another boring night. They're playing Yahtzee or however they're passing the time. I don't know. And suddenly this angel appears with this message speaking to them. And then a whole chorus, a whole army of, of angelic singers are singing to them about what is going to happen. Can you imagine? And then, of course, in Bethlehem, there, Mary and Joseph just had this baby. And the promise that was given and the miracles surrounding that, this is all coming about. This has been a, a most unusual night. This is, this is a unique experience in the history of the world. God is at work. And they get together. And they start comparing stories and they start looking at the baby. Well, sure enough, sounds like a baby. Looks like a baby and, you know, maybe smells like a baby. It's a baby. You can, you know, pinch his cheeks and, you know, snuggle him and do all things you do. Sure enough, God has kept his promise. But in most astonishing ways so that everyone who comes from that scene, they go away just shaking their head because this is amazing and wonderful what God is doing. It captures their attention. It captures their minds. You know, if you're married, do you remember your wedding day? And I, I hope you do. <laughs> do you remember your wedding day? You'd waited so long for it. Promises had been made. Yeah, we're going to get married. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to get married at this place and at this time and the things we're going to do. You'd invested time and preparations for it. You had invested money. You'd, you'd maybe set up a, a, a fancy honeymoon after the fact. Ask Stephanie about our honeymoon sometime. She'll tell you about it. <laughs> Lots of planning and preparation went into that one. And then the day finally comes, right? You, you've had the ceremony. You've stood up front awkwardly, you know, staring into each other's eyes. You've said the words, I do. And the pastor has declared you to be married, right? And, and finally, it has come to fruition. And you can hardly believe it. You're finally husband and wife. After all the promises and the planning, after looking forward to it for so long, it's finally a reality. You made the covenant. You said the words. The pastor said it was so. It's really true, just as you'd been told. Finally, finally. Well, that, that sense of joy at the, the promises to wed, being uh, kept, being fulfilled, makes a deep impression on a person. These shepherds in this family who had seen God keep His promises made centuries before and announced by the angels even that night were deeply impressed. They went away glorifying God and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told them. So like those shepherds, 
we should receive the Savior with lasting joy because God who sent Him has kept His promises. How does this apply to me? Well, Christian, are you perhaps discouraged? Have you been a believer for perhaps a long time now? But you seem to be experiencing more discouragement than joy. Well, the answer from this passage is to look to God who keeps His promises. And so I want to finish with just a few of these promises, and there are many more. John 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is a promise. Or how about this one from Psalm 103 in verse 12. He will remember our sins no more. He will separate them from us as far as the east is from the west. There is encouragement in there. That is a promise from God. Or Romans 6 in verse 6, which teaches us that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's a promise, Christian. Or this one from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, which speaks of the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. He said that immeasurable power is at work in you. Or how about this from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, which reminds us that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Are you weak? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Those are just a few of the promises concerning the gospel that are ours because of the fact that we are in Christ. God keeps His promises. Like the people of Jabesh Gilead, all of mankind finds himself in desperate need of a Savior. Because of his sin and rebellion against God, his terrible wrath, God's terrible wrath is directed at mankind. Humanity is in mortal and eternal danger. But exactly as he promised, God did indeed send a Savior for us. He went so far as to shape the very events of history to bring it about. And the Savior, Jesus, born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, was the perfect one to reconcile man to God, that there might be glory to God. He was the only one who could possibly give that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. That's what we're celebrating today.
That's what we're celebrating this time of year. We're reminding ourselves of this baby who was born as God promised. And God shaped the events of history to bring it about. He worked in, in the tax man, if you can believe it, to make this happen. And he sent him in fulfillment of his promises. Exactly as he said he would do. The one perfect reconciler between God and man. That we might have peace with God. And so the message, the application throughout this whole time has been to receive Him. Receive the promises of God like Mary did. Receive the promises of God like these shepherds did. And then go and make it your own. They actually touched the baby. They heard the baby. They went and saw. They didn't just hear about it and say, oh, that's nice and go about their game of Yahtzee. They went and made this their own. Receive that child. Receive that Savior. Perhaps for the first time ever, I'm talking about you coming to Him and submitting to Him as your Lord, that He might be your Savior. But perhaps you just need to remind yourself of how great this Savior is. And you need to go and make Him your own. You need to be there with Him. And you need to to hold Him. And you need to see Him. And you need to hear Him. Receive this Savior as your own, that there might be glory to God in the highest, and among us, peace with whom God is pleased. I'm going to pray for us to close now. And when I'm done praying, we, we're going to have a family come forward who would love to pray with you. And, uh, and whatever you might have going on in your life, they would love to pray with you. They'd love to talk to you and hear about what's going on. They want to minister to you. And so take them up on that Opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we are astounded. Astounded that you sent the Savior as you did. Sometimes it's easy for us to think that you really don't work in this world. We can be materialistic in that sense. We see cause and effect that is uh, purely physical, purely human perhaps, or uh, we don't sometimes lift our eyes to see that you are indeed at work. But with the birth of Jesus, there is no mistaking the fact that you were intervening in history, invading history to send your son to be, to be our Savior. And this time of year that that uh, can have its distractions, and they can be many. Oh, may we receive that Savior. May we, may we make Him our own. May we go and see. May we touch. May we handle. May we fellowship with this Savior of ours. May we walk with Him. May we know Him well, and may we take Him to other people and tell others what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have experienced, that they too might wonder, that they too might glorify and praise God as you have drawn us to do. Father, I pray that you would be honored this Christmas season. I pray that you would be working in us, and I pray that you would renew that joy and that excitement and that wonder of the fact that your Son entered our world to take on our sin and pay that penalty on the cross for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our Savior, whom you have sent for us. And we rejoice and we worship you and we give you glory today. And we pray this. In Jesus' name.
And as we go out of this place today, let's go like the shepherds of Luke chapter 2, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen and amen. God bless you, and you are dismissed.